Welcome to episode 187 of The Cool Room, a very inauspicious number if you're an Australian cricket fan. We trust that you will raise your feet up off the floor while you listen to this exciting episode. Uh, I'm your host, David Griffiths, welcoming you to The Cool Room. Uh, a fun, fun episode today. A couple of different things on the agenda. Uh, later on in the show, we're going to be talking to the team from Third Moon over in Canada. Uh, we had a really awesome Sunday afternoon session with them, uh, with both Bebo and Chris. Uh, they were so generous with their time uh, and it was just fantastic. Not just to have the conversations that you'll hear recorded, we sat around for another couple of hours afterwards and just enjoyed some beers with the guys. Up until about 2am their time, they were just wonderful guys uh, and so many good stories. Uh, we really encourage you to come and join us in the Zoom room because that way you get to chat with the brewers just like we did that afternoon. Um, so stay tuned for that part of the podcast. Uh, and if you haven't already, make sure you grab the beers from it. Uh, we'd love you to buy them from our online store. Uh, but if you can't do that, then just track down some Third Moon beers from wherever you get your quality beers from uh, so that you can enjoy some of them while you're listening to that bit of the show. Before we get to that, though, uh, we have a quick chat with Richard Watkins, who uh, set up Bentspoke Brewing out of Canberra, uh, and he's going to be coming down to Melbourne as part of the Blobfish Festival that we have coming up. Uh, a few episodes ago, before we kicked off our Black Box series, uh, we sat down and had a yarn with Sam from Hop Nation about everything that you could expect from Blobfish. So uh, today we're chatting with Richard about that uh, and obviously about the Bentspoke story. And in the next episode that we have coming out, we're going to be chatting uh, with Topher from Wildflower and we'll have the second half of our interview with Third Moon. So make sure you check out all of that. Make sure you check out our Facebook and Instagram. That way you can keep up to date with all of the events, both online and in the flesh that we're going to be doing and what a big lineup it is. After this, uh, the next online event we're going to be doing is with Brainy Brothers. Uh, there's packs available for that, tasting packs available for that in our online store. Then we've got a couple of live shows. We're getting together with our good, good mates from co-conspirators at the Flemken Bowls Club. Then we're going to be doing a big event at Beer Deluxe to welcome their winter beers onto their uh, taps. Some really fun and exciting things coming up there. Uh, and then in August, we have both uh, Behemoth Brewing from New Zealand and Bowden Brewing from South Australia on the show. Uh, they'll be part of our, uh, our usual subscribers packs. I never really talk about the subscribers packs, which is probably the worst decision I could ever make as someone who's trying to run a business. Here you go, we talk so much about how to make a business succeed uh, in the hospo industry, and I never really plug what is the backbone of our business and never really thank online uh, and in the podcast enough. The people who subscribe. So for $99, uh, and you can access this through our online store, you can get our monthly subscription pack. And that means you get all of the beers that uh, we're going to be talking about sent out to you. You don't have to think about whether you're going to order them or not. You don't have to make sure that uh, everything's organised. The beers arrive uh, for $99 a month. 12 beers at least come out. Uh, and that just means, apart from anything else, uh, from your end, things are simpler. The beers are always going to be there. And from my end, well, I can approach uh, breweries and get some really fun ones, just like Third Moon, uh, knowing that we're going to be able to succeed successfully sell those beers and that I'm not going to have an enormous pile of things sitting around. Uh, Okie dokie, that's enough from me at the moment. Let's get underway uh, with our chat with Richard. 
Well, I'm joined now by Richard Watkins, all the way from Bentspoke in Canberra. Richard, welcome to the show. Yeah, g'day. Thanks, David. Uh, it's great to be here, for sure. Um, we don't talk to Canberra breweries all that often here on the show, and for the benefits of our Bulgarian listeners, um, I guess we'd better explain where Canberra is and what it is in Australia before we even start to talk craft beer. Yeah, look, um, yeah, Canberra's situated on the East Coast. Um, when they were planning to, to decide where the capital of Australia should be, they were trying to pick somewhere halfway between um, Sydney and Melbourne and sort of, um, for some reason, ended up closer to Sydney than Melbourne. But, um, yeah, uh, Canberra being the capital of Australia, um, we, uh, you know, we've got a, a great little city here. We call it a big town. We don't like to tell too many people about it because it's um, really nice and easy to get around and we've got great facilities here and we've got some really good beer and some passionate local people who love um, love flavour and love supporting their, you know, local businesses. Absolutely. And the craft beer scene's really taken off, well, more or less in the time that you've been there. But um, over the last 10 years or so, it's a, it's a changed city in terms of its hospital offerings from what it was even 20 or more years ago when I used to spend more quality time up there. Yeah, absolutely. Look, um, I started, uh, I came to Canberra in 94 and started brewing at the Wigan Pen in 94, uh, sorry, 95. And um, back then there was very limited um, pubs you could go to. There were a few bars and, and bits and pieces, but it wasn't really a big sort of hospitality town. There were obviously some restaurants and cafes, but not not like the, the huge numbers that we have now. And, and I think at that time too, there was actually only nine small breweries um, in, in the whole of Australia in 95. So pretty proud to have seen our industry grow from nine breweries to whatever it is now, 700 or approaching 700. So it's been a you know really big change. Absolutely. And the, the Wigan Pen was exactly where I used to go back in the day, but it was <laughs> it really was the only option in town back then. Yeah, um, that's right. And we had a great time in that place. Um, you know, it, when I first started there, we were selling VB Stubbies um, in the fridge behind the bar, we were we had Cooper's Pale and Newcastle Brown and on tap, and eventually, um, because people didn't know about beer back then, sorry, craft beer back then, because there was actually no craft beer then. No one had coined the term craft beer back then. It was just beer, and some beer had these flavours, and some beer had that flavours. You know, so um, over a period of time, probably about three years, we managed to slowly progressed to only selling the beers we made and then we we started with a part of that process was starting with a beer called a Kolsch which was a very easy going you know it's a German style sort of pale ale from origin but we more marketed a sort of a Canberra pale um, and it got people interested in tasting something out of tap rather than a stubby out of the fridge so you know I guess I was there for 17 years when I left we had 16 beers on tap and a whole range of styles, including three hand pumps and Barilo Sours. Absolutely. And, um, well, I guess that leads us logically to the Bentspoke story because you did leave Bend and you've yeah. set up Bentspoke, that's about, what, eight, nine years ago? Yeah, that's right. I mean, um, the, the future of the Wigan Pen was a little uncertain because they had to relocate. And, you know, the owner, Lockie, had been doing the Wigan Pen for a long period of time and quite rightly was probably a bit hesitant in, in actually moving it. So I sort of said, well... What am I going to do? I can't really... There's no other brewing uh, in Canberra, so I was, was likely having to move into state to keep brewing going. Um, so the next thing was, OK, well, 
if I can't work at another brewery or work at a brewery, I may as well set up my own. So me and my partner, Tracy, who we get, funnily enough, she was cooking in the kitchen at the Wigan Pen way back in 94 when I first went to the Wigan Pen. So Is that where you met? Yeah, that's right. We did. Oh, that's, we, we love a good romance story. We Did you first kiss in the cool room? Because obviously the <laughs> podcast is called The Cool Room because of yeah. what goes on behind the scenes back there. No, we, I, I can be honest, I cannot be honest and say that after five pints of Bok, we probably did kiss against the cool room wall. So <laughs> no, it's pretty close. We'll, we'll count that as a romance story <laughs> by our standards. Yeah, so we, we decided we'd yeah, better do something. We looked at trying to set up a brew pub and um, and... That's what we ended up doing. We set up the brew pub there in Braddon, in sort of um, pretty pretty central in, in the city of Canberra, and and then um, had a bit of bit of luck as a few people liked the beers we were making, and slowly we've grown to um, being able to package our beers. And funnily enough, when we first set up the brew pub, we thought we could probably can a few of our beers at the brew pub and just bring in a little mobile canner and do a bit of canning. But we realised pretty quickly that a lot of people wanted our beer outside of the four walls of the brew pub, so we. We set up another production facility, um, you know, about 15 minutes away. So tell us a little bit about that. Tell us about the size and scope of what you've got now in 2023 because things have, things have grown since then. Yeah, that's right. I mean, we, we, um, we had a three-year plan to can our beers. We started canning them after 12 months. Um, so we opened in June 2014 and then we set up this um, production facility. Uh, we signed the lease in, I think it was November 15. We finally canned our beers in November 16. Um, and then I guess we had this little plan. We thought, oh, we'll just brew the beer in the pub and bring it out to the production brewery and can it initially. And quickly we ran out of beer, so we had to put a bigger brewery in. So we put a 5,000-litre brew house in. Um, and we had a canning line that did 30 cans a minute. Initially we upgraded that to 90 cans a minute in 2017 and recently just put in a canning line that does 250 cans a minute. So, you know, we, we're capable of probably doing about 8, eight million litres on, on the site we currently have. We're not currently doing anywhere near 8 million litres, but um, we're um, somewhere just shy of 3 million litres. It's an impressive, that's an impressive number in and of itself, let alone the capacity that you've got there. And again, for people outside of Australia, I think pretty much everyone in Australia would know the brewery, but for people outside, you really do sort of cover everything from smashable, you know, enjoyable beers through to much more esoteric and niche limiteds, yeah? That's right. We um we do try and do we do try and I guess bend the rules of beer and try and create create f- flavor and more more importantly share different f- uh, flavors with our with our fans and with our customers. Um I think um beer can become very um pigeonholed and very sort of sitting very tightly in a little little um, band and, and I think it's good to really showcase and, and experiment with different ingredients and, and different flavours and really show people what what beer can be because there's some beers that are perfect for having um, with a meal that you might only have one of. You're not likely to have, even though it's a good beer, it's not that beer you're going to have five or six and then there's some beers where you design them to be those beers that you really enjoy having a couple of. So we've tried to do a bit of both there. So... Um, yeah, that's that's we focus. We quite like our hops, so we have focused fairly heavily on on IPAs. I mean, when I, we started, there weren't a lot of IPAs around um, back in two thousand and fourteen, um, and obviously the IPA growth in the US because we sort of track a little bit around five years behind the US. The 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 IPA growth in the US probably around that two thousand and twelve mark um, 
through to the end of, well, it's 2020, I suppose you'd say, it's probably petered off a bit, um, has been phenomenal. So that's reflected in what Australia, Australian breweries have done as well. Um, and what, and more importantly, what the consumer wants as well. The consumers does like their hops. Most consumers like their hops. So they've really appreciated, yeah, breweries doing IPAs. Look, that's, that's a fairly logical sort of sequence now into talking about Blobfish, which is the reason we've got you on today. Uh, a really fun festival down here in, in Melbourne, in uh, the meat market in North Melbourne. What beers are you going to be bringing down to that? Yeah, look, we, um, we've always, I've always done barrel-aged beers. I think um, between myself, Brad Rogers, when he was at the Matilda Bay Garage, and Brendan Varis when he was at Feral Brewing, probably were the first three brewers in Australia to do barrel-aged um, beers, and we started doing those in 2004, 2005, so a few years ago mm-hmm. now. And um, it's always been a fascination um, as a brewer to brew these types of beers. So we've, we've now got a dedicated warehouse site. We call it um, Budding Cells, and basically that's dedicated to barrel-aging. Um, we've got some 5,000-litre fooders that we do quite a bit of work with um, and we can play around and you know my big thing is that what I've learned from a lot of my trips around overseas to some of the famous um, barrel aged and sour beer manufacturers that blending is the key to a success of a really good beer so we've got the facility where we can really blend and that's what we've been able to do with some of the beers we're bringing down to Blobfish. We've got um, a beer we call Mother Funker which um, basically starts out with um, some barrels that have our mother culture in and then some barrels that have our funker culture and we blend those together to create mother funker and the mother strain does produce great acid and when the funker produces some really those classic, um, you know, um, mixed culture fermentation flavours like sweaty horse blanket and mouldy carpet and all those beautiful characters that I really love in, in beers. Um, so mother funker is a blend of 2021, 22, 23 beer um and we'll be showcasing that and we've actually just canned that as well so it'll be available in in bottle shops around independent bottle shops around australia and another beer that i or style of beer i fell in love with um on a on a trip to um a famous belgian brewery called rodenbach was um flemish red style um ale so we've we've got a beer we call phlegm um, and, and, and it's our Flemish red style ale. And funnily enough, this is a fair income true story. When we did the tour of um, Rodenbach, um, we, we literally did the tour and then at 11 o'clock in the morning finished the tour and just got sort of not dumped out on the street, but we're out on the street wandering around. We went to this brasserie that was nearby and um, walked in and, you know, it was very heavily Flemish, um, you know, obviously people everywhere and, and we, I'm, I'm, I'll be honest, I'm not very very good with my languages, so I was struggling a little bit to understand, but there was this um, farmer sitting at the bar and he pointed out all the beers we should be trying and so me and Tracy sat there and we just... He could speak a bit of English, so we just um, sort of listened to him and he pointed out all the beers. He shouted a couple, we shouted a couple, and his name ended up being Flem. So he called, <laughs> that's what we called the beer Flem. So, yeah, it's just one of those, like, you know, for me awesome beer experiences that you have and you just, you know, some of those just last your lifetime, those memories. So why not translate it into a beer? So we've got the Flemish Red Ale. We've also brewed a a cherry sour, dark cherry sour um, in the brew pub as well. So um, that hasn't been barrel-aged, but um, it's been um, mixed culture fermentation um, in stainless, but that'll be coming down. 
And then we do also do this great little thing with the Canberra um, homebrew community, and that is we brew the winning beer out of the ACT amateur brewing competition. So there's basically mm. 20 categories. And what we do is we get the the winning, the 20 winning beers together. We sit there with a few of us and we work out is the Pilsner better than the IPA or is the IPA better than the, the you know, the sour. And this year, uh, sorry, not this year, last year, funnily enough, the sour the won, won the beer of show. So we brewed that with the brewer um, and they come out to the brewery and they get to brew it. It's now been barrel aging and maturing for over a year now. We released it recently. Um, so we'll be bringing what we call our Bent Brewer for 2022. That's um, a pretty cool well. prize to win on top of, you know, everyone loves the trophy and loves to have their name on the on the board, but that's a pretty awesome prize over and above that. Yeah, no, it is. And look, everyone gets really excited about it. The whole club gets behind it. Well, I've supported the club ever since I've been in Canberra and Brewing because, you know, so many... So many of our brewers around Australia have all started being home brewers and really want to make sure that, and that's where I started too way back in the day. So I really want to make sure that we keep that, that you know, keep the home brewing community community vibrant and, you know, really interested in good beer. And um, so we actually managed to get a bottle of his beer and we actually cultured up the remaining um, culture in the bottom of the bottle and um, then used that to ferment and age the beer. So it's come out really well. And it'll that'll be an interesting one for you know. So I'm assuming there'll probably be a few home brewers who come along to this festival. I think you're very safe on that on that assumption. <laughs> um, which of the beers do you reckon for people who are newer to to these styles? Which of them which should they be having first? I always think the Belgian Reds are actually much more approachable than some people think. They sort of have a bit of mystique about them, but particularly wine drinkers often get into those sorts of, of beers and really appreciate them. Yeah, no, you've absolutely nailed it because I'm recommending that people go start with the darkest and head to the the lightest in our on our in our case because that you're right. The Flemish red is is um, a much more drinkable style of of sour, um, and then the the Creek um, is also quite a nice, well balanced sort of sour. It's still quite acidic, three point three pH, I think it is. So it's pretty still pretty tough. It's got a nice cherry sweetness to it, so it sort of balances out that, that sharpness. So I reckon you move from the Flemish red to the creek and then you start the last two. And the last two are, you know, they're quite full on in terms of um, not only the aroma you get and the flavour you get, but the acidity as well. So, you, you know, I'm assuming people don't mind a bit of acidity if they're coming to this festival. I think, you, again, you're absolutely on the mark. Is this your first time at the festival or have you been down to Blobfish before? Yeah, I've been to the festival before, but the first time for Ben Spoke to be there. So really, we're really um, thankful that we did get an invite and we, that's why we've chosen to launch these two cans, the Flemish Red and the Mother Funker, at the festival. So first time that they'll be tried um, in the world or in Australia or in Canberra will be at the festival in Melbourne, so... Well, that's that's something to look forward to. I don't know whether you've had a time to look at the program, but are there any other breweries that are there that you're interested in going along and having a, a little taste of and, you know, perhaps a natter about a collab or something like that? Yeah, look, our hosts are always... The hosts for the festival, Hop Nation, are always really good at brewing beers and I always like when I come to Melbourne to, to try and keep it local as well and, and look at some of the other good local breweries that are doing doing things. So I'm pretty interested to, to see what Hop Nation always put up. They... They obviously can plan for this a long way out because they, they know that it's going ahead and they're always going to be there. Um, but, you know, and then I guess, um, you know, uh, Dollar Bill always, um, they, their beers are absolutely phenomenal, along with um, Topher from Wildflower as well. So I think those three are probably, 
probably my pick, but I always love a surprise as well. So it, it won't be just going to those three. It'll be trying to get around to everyone as, as much as we can. All right, you've, you've hit the nail on the head. I think the next episode after the one that you're on is going to have Topher on it, talking about some of what he's bringing down. Uh, we are big friends of Dollar Bill and always like to celebrate at the Hair of the Dog breakfast at Beer Deluxe in Fed Square the day <laughs> after the RBA. So we've seen them uh, at, at, their, at their winningest. And, yeah, it's great. Um, Always some amazing things in there. Um, really looking forward to having the chance to, to sit down and taste some of these beers that you're bringing down. For people who can't get to Blobfish, maybe because they're in another part of Australia, can you give us uh, your socials so that they can follow the story? And as you say, these beers will be available soon in really good craft beer independent stores. Yeah, look, just head to our website, bensbakebrewing.com.au, um, bensbakebeer on Instagram, and you'll be able to keep up with what's going on um, we've got a beer finder on our website, so those who are in Melbourne and want to see uh, Taste the Mother Funker and the Flam, look, it'll be sold in good bottle shops all around Melbourne, um, all around Australia, actually. So um, hopefully um, you've got a great independent bottle shop somewhere near you, should stock it, and if they don't, tell them they should. Exactly right. Richard, thank you for taking the time to be on the show today. Hopefully soon we'll get you on for a proper full-on podcast where we can have some of your tasty beers in front of us while we chat. That'd be fantastic. Thanks very much. And thanks for your support of um, Sour Beer Festivals. Um, Blobfish is, you know, is, one, is obviously the and one of the best fest beer festivals going around. So it's great to have your support behind it. An absolute pleasure, mate. Very, very <clears throat> super pleased to introduce from Third Moon, uh, Chris and Bebo. Hey, guys, how are you doing? Hey guys. Good. Thanks for having us. Okay. Yeah, so thanks for having us. Our no, thanks for coming on. Thanks for coming on. I love that our guests thank us for having them. But really, we're like so excited to 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 have these great guests and great brewers and great um great beer makers just come on and and join us. We're the we're the ones who are, are really really honoured to have you with us. Um, we're going to kick off straight away. Uh, what we normally do, we, we love having multiple guests from a brewery because we can bounce some ideas off each other and we get different perspectives. One of the things we do, though, is we get our guests to introduce each other. <coughs> the beauty of this is that quite often some cracks appear uh, in the relationship, you know, <laughs> <laughs> We get then we get, and then we spend the rest of the podcast levering the relationship apart <laughs> until there's yeah, no way that guests can ever be in the same room again. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, we might start. Let, let's start with Bevo introducing Chris. Can you please introduce Chris? Tell us about what he does around the brewery. Tell us, and that's usually if where anything. the crack starts, if anything. <laughs> um, and tell us also about his favourite beer. This is where the other crack off. Yeah, that's right. His favourite non-third moon beer. Like, what's his yeah. favourite oh. macro lager? Yeah. Well, that's yeah. easy because he keeps a he keeps a rolling list of one hundred his top one hundred beers in order, which you could see behind him. So I kind of have a cheat sheet <laughs> <laughs> for where, where they're at. That that says uh, a lot as it is. That says quite a bit, there, Chris. That's just out of the camera. <laughs> If, if you're lucky enough to join us in the Zoom room, we can understand on a Sunday afternoon <laughs> there's a lot of other things going on. But, um, yeah, that's a magnificent sight behind Chris. That is just incredible. 
Okay, so I've never... I'm not good at introducing myself, so hopefully I do better at introducing Chris than I do myself. <laughs> so, uh, Chris is one half of Third Moon, so we started this place uh, just over three years ago, um, right at the right at the start of COVID. Uh, so, Chris and I have been working on this business plan for about five years before we got up and running. Uh our backgrounds, we come from the corporate backgrounds. I was homebrewing, and Chris is like the ultimate beer consumer, just brings the excitement and passion about trying stuff and bringing people together and hosting pairings and bringing out like the best aspects of beer that get us all to the level where we're sitting in a Zoom either at 10 p.m. on a Saturday or noon on a Sunday for you guys. That shared level of super excitement that only a few of us get. Chris kind of curates that in people. So Love it. at the brewery, uh, we all do a lot of stuff. Being a pretty small, lean team, Chris, big, big high level is kind of the sales guy. And I'm kind of the, I, I kind of get the beer in the fridge and he gets it out of the fridge into people's hands. And he, do, he does a lot of the uh, customer experience side of stuff. But we all end up doing all the nitty gritty garbage cleaning up and doing deliveries and answering phones or social media or whatever. So a lot of the unglamorous stuff, but, uh, and then Chris does a lot of making sure the staff is up to snuff on what we're doing and what's coming up and, you know, just steering the ship. That's our favorite phrase, steering the ship. So you're, yeah. you're absolutely, you know, <laughs> you're talking yeah, about it. Feels like it. Or we always say like pushing a pushing a stalled car, and then you look up and you say like, "Oh, wait, you're supposed to be pushing, but you're not pushing." Well, the ship analogy is always apt for us because we're never sure who is really steering the ship here, and most of the time it's just someone running into the bridge and making sure that the rocks which are right in front of it, then we quickly turn the ship around from from that <laughs> and sail off in another direction until we find some more rocks. Oh yeah, and um, Beaver, what's Chris's favourite beer? Oh, it has been a changing list, and I will be quickly fact-checked, but I would say 2021 Beer Barrel Time from Side Project. Batch one. Is that it? That's it. Okay. And and, and is that something you drink a lot of, Chris? Oh, I wish. I wish I could afford that. (laughs) I don't know if I'm getting it. (laughs) It's in the top corner there. <laughs> it's an amazing lineup of beers. Um, so you guys may not have the chat function open in the Zoom room, and we encourage you to do so because that way James can chip in a few questions on the way there. And he's yeah. asking, are those empties or are they, are they full? I presume they're empty carcasses of, bottle, of bottles. They were full at one time, but then they ended up in my belly. They've since left my body, but not my mind. <laughs> Excellent. Excellent. And Chris, why don't we hear from you? Let's introduce Bebo for the listeners. I think this is a really cool way to start the call. It's like you're really just getting into it. It's and you know, I'm not a big fan of small talk. I, I I'd rather just get into some deeper topics and uh so that this is pretty fun. Uh I would say, you know, when I think of Bebo, I think of him as like, you know, the yin to my yang. Like it's we 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 cover the opposite ends of the spectrum when it comes to this business. Mm-hmm. And the way we communicate with each other and with the outside world, uh, it's amazing to me. I'm usually the one who does most of the talking and can't shut up. 
Bebo has taught me to try to not speak first, and so mm. he's the one who speaks last. So when he does speak, yeah, I just I just don't talk. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's uh, I'm learning in my life. That's usually quite wise. Yeah, I'm still learning it. It's gonna yeah. be a long long while yeah. for me, but. Uh, you know he's really well read, so that's something. I, when he does open his mouth, he's he's not just flapping his gums about something. He's actually researched it and knows it. And I can't think of too many other people in my life that uh, that are that well read. Mm-hmm. So just the same with his home brewing that he was doing for about a decade before we started this. Uh, he learned just by doing. So just got in there and just brew, brew, brew change one thing, keep everything else constant. What did you learn? Not change something else. Learn the bookends of, of, you know, if you go all the way this way or all the way this way, and then try to figure out where you want to swing the pendulum within those mm-hmm. goalposts. And, uh, and so he's a star at brewing, and I had the pleasure of enjoying his homebrew uh, when we first met, which I think was like 2012 or something in there. Mm. Uh, and uh, there were a group of us enjoying his homebrew and everyone asking, when are you going to do this professionally? And uh, I, he'd been planning this for a long time. And then after we'd been hanging out for a couple of years and sharing beers and uh, just really going down every rabbit hole and just realizing that the two of us were, were different than the other people we hung out with. And like Bebo says, we both just get so excited about beer and uh one night he said hey i've been thinking about doing this for a long time now do you want to want to do this brewery with me and we spent five years planning it until he said listen we gotta go and we were having a meeting every week you know we were organized meeting notes we drink about seven barrel-aged stouts during the meeting <laughs> on a tuesday night go to work on wednesday our day job you know looking at us like you were drinking barrel-aged stouts till three in the morning. What is going on here? And, uh, and then finally we realized if we don't go, we could miss this. So we, we put into this business what we felt were the best experiences we have had at other breweries. And so, you know, Bebo is, is our head brewer and, uh, he just, continues to to brew beers that the rest of us on the team uh go crazy for time and time again i think we're like at batch 465 or something now in three years uh 90 percent plus of those are new beers uh it's just been a wild ride and uh and so where i'm the one you know who gets i i try to take the beers that people makes and help people get the most out of them, help people enjoy the flavors, know the hops that are in there, help them understand what it is they like about that beer. And, uh, and, you know, Bebo's the one who like creates that, that platform for the rest of us on the team to really just rally around and deliver something that is authentic to us. And for us, the product is, is number one. It's, that's the reason we're here is to make the best beer we can make, not just beer that's good in Ontario or Canada, but beer that anyone in the world will drink and agree this is world-class. And then we follow it up very closely with customer experience. And those two things, it's not magic. They're fundamental things. And we're just putting everything we have into it. Oh. And, and it's resonating with people. We've, you know, 
built a cult following in three years at home, but also abroad. We've done a few exports to Australia, and it's it's pretty exciting to be able to see an untapped check-in from someone on the other side of the world. And even people that I've been friends with on Untapped from back in those days who then are able to get our beer. And we used to talk before you know, I was even doing this. So that's pretty fun. Yeah. We, uh, we kind of feel like music and beer are two things that are, are better shared. And so we try to bring that. We listen to a lot of heavy music. Our tap list, uh, our playlist in the tap room is, is all heavy music. And we're just kind of, we're trying to be real and transparent and make sure that this, what we're doing here feels true to us. Mm-hmm. And also, because if, it, if we're not going to go all in and do that, then we might as well just kept our day jobs and, uh, you know, and felt like robots. We just couldn't do it anymore. We had to go all in. I'm, I'm going to ask a question. Well, I'm really keen to talk about mm. the beer that's in our glasses in a moment because it's tasting beautiful. I want to talk Delicious, about it while it's yeah. actually in my glass. But my I guess particularly for Australian mm. listeners, but listeners, hello to our listeners in Fiji. Lots of listeners tuning in from Fiji lately. Um, but we like to paint a bit of a picture of the of the brewery, but also the town that we're in. I'm not sure, Mr. Warren, whether you've picked up on this, but the other night we had brewers from Milton in New South Wales, and tonight we've got brewers from Milton, Ontario. So <laughs> I didn't even I wouldn't have even known there was either a town existed, to be perfectly honest. You know, three months ago, but. Tell us what it's like in, uh, I hope, the sunny, now probably dark, Milton, and um, what it was like at the brew, at the brew pub tonight. Just give us a bit of a feel. Uh, today? Well, that's not a, uh, I was going to say that, that's a, uh, a feather in the cap of British imperialism. That there's some <laughs> Milton, Milton's all yeah, around totally. the world. Yeah, yeah. you're yeah. right. <laughs> Absolutely. It's, uh, it, it's been pissing rain a lot of today. So it's one of those days where, you know, I think a lot of people's plans were changed. So we had some some hikers show up. We've got some beautiful uh, trails around the brewery, and it's been fun. We get a lot of bikers and, and people just coming in from the trails who don't even know about us and come. They've earned their beers. It's time to carb up. So they come in, and uh, and then they say, whoa, this is intense in here. And uh, we've got a crazy tap list. You can see it on our website, thirdmoonbrewing.com. But we make bigger beers, so there's a lot of uh, – there's a, an Imperial Black IPA with coffee. There's a – we now have uh, a birthday barrel-aged bestowed. It's our big stout line, and it's been aged in Buffalo Trace barrels for 12 yeah. months. We've got that on right now. I just did the last pours a couple hours ago of our Black Wax – uh, bourbon bestowed, which is 17 months in Heaven Hill. Did I get that mm-hmm. right, people? Yeah. And, uh, yeah, to be able to have beers like that on the menu is very important to Bebo and I. When we, Whenever we go visit a brewery, I, wa- I want to see a range of styles, but I only know that it's time to end the flight when I can have a big mm-hmm. stout. And so we always want to have that on the menu. We've got a lot of New England-style IPAs. Uh, we've got a west, beautiful West Coast on, and uh, a Czech style Pilsner, and we're about to put a triple IPA on with Nelson Silva and Cashmere. 
So that's always a fun one. And uh, yeah, these are, it's an intimidating list for some people. So trying to take them through and, and explain to them, you get some funny looks from some people. Do you have any normal beer? I think you want number one, the Pilsner. <laughs> That's where the journey begins. But hopefully yeah. they take the full journey. If they're into hiking, they should go the full length of the trail, not just walk down to see the first tree. And if yes. it's if it's like anything in Australia now, that, that the start of the journey has become full circle and like breweries are really digging in on a, on Pilsners and like that Lagered style and creating the best that they can. Like they're really it up though although it's it's very approachable is that what you you guys are getting in in ontario and canada as well that that people are now understanding the complexity behind the the relatively simple style in inverted commas what would you yeah, say there's either? definitely uh yeah there's a, a logger resurgence and um you know it's funny i always i always note that when people say oh brewers are starting to make this more breweries are starting to make this more but it, it always comes down to the consumer. Like people all the time are like, why don't you guys make more West Coast? Why don't you make more West Coast? And we love West Coast IPAs. That's what we, you know, kind of grew up on. But they don't sell nearly as well as Hazy. So, like, as long as people are buying it, we'll make it. Uh, but, yeah, we do love lagers. There's a few breweries in the Toronto area that specialize in lagers and really take it to the kind of the next level with the uh, – level of dedication and care that goes into it. But a lot of it just comes down to what are people buying? I was talking today about dark English mild is probably my favorite style of beer. We've never brewed one and probably never will because I don't think we would ever sell a batch of it. (laughs) So maybe one day. But imagine, yeah, maybe a little side hustle, a little side side hustle, maybe a little side (laughs) brand, like, like. Fourth moon. Fourth moon. Three and a half moons. It's also uh, something that, that, you know, I learned from doing this is that if you're just starting a brewery, it's really difficult to be able to make a whole bunch of lagers because then they got to sit in the tank and you can't, you don't have any revenue coming in and all your tanks are full. So, you know, making an ale for, you know, first things first, but then cranking out IPAs gets the revenue coming in. And when you start, this business at least from our experience you're you're close to broke and you have a lot of debt and it's like it's a panic thing where you're like we need to get the revenue coming in so we'd love to have more and we talk about it all the time we'll build towards having more loggers we've got a we got a rewaka uh logger a pilsner in the uh in the tank right now that is is going to be delicious and so so different than you know our saws or zots one that we do typically as a core brand and, you know, you know, the thing about the, the hop variety and being mm-hmm. brewed in a different part of the world and the, the impact on just on the nostrils with this beer, it's, it's, you'd never guess. And, uh, and so we're pretty excited to have two Pilsners and two that we really love that are really flavorful. Yep. I don't personally think that uh, the part of Canada we're in, is uh, is far along in the journey of being able to differentiate loggers and truly appreciate the complexity that can exist in that style of beer. I think it's a a lot of people perceive it as a one note, mm. and, uh, and so you see it on Untapped. People don't typically get as excited about those beers, but yeah. when you drink enough 
IPAs, you get to a point where you just need a break. And uh, when you have a nice, you know, a nice refreshing Pilsner yeah. with a lot of flavor, it makes you stop. And, and then you say, oh, why, you know, why don't I drink more of these? I drink more of these. Yeah, totally. Yeah. yeah. So I think, I think we're definitely headed that way. But there's a stigma associated with them that's mm. misinformed. And a lot of people are kind of shaping their view of beer through platforms like Untapped, which is, is it's exciting, but it's also, it's dangerous. Yeah. It's precarious. It's, uh, yeah. you know, what are we building here? Is it, uh-huh. is it accurate or is it really just a popularity contest? Anyways, we can go down a rabbit yeah, hole. Yeah, yeah, that rabbit hole is a dangerous rabbit hole. Before we move off and we, we, we talk about the beer, which I'm dying to because uh, there's a lot of fun stuff going on here. Um, with the tap room, uh, we we touched on it briefly. What's on high rotation? So it's a heavy, yeah. I like tell me about the music. I love I love hearing about it, and we at the we in the cool room don't talk about it enough. Um, and Dave, Dave is particularly a metal fan. My environment's a bit different, but yeah. What what's on high rotation? What are you playing? Who are you loving? Well. You know, I've stacked the playlist with a lot of Deftones just because it's uh, yeah. it, it satisfies kind of both worlds. There's some yep. melody there, but mm-hmm. then there's some unbridled screams. Yep. There's uh, nice, thick, driving guitars, and then Abe on drums just keeping that rhythm rolling. Uh, that gets me pretty excited to hear that. And when I was walking around today listening to all those good tunes that I basically picked off my classic iPod from, like, 90s and 2000s you know not as heavy as what Bebo really likes to listen but we've evolved our playlist over the uh, the three years based on a portion a small portion of the feedback that we get it's it's our number one complaint that the music's too heavy and uh it's not even as heavy as Bebo would want it so uh, <laughs> yeah we toned it way down <laughs> who would you put on there if it if you didn't have to worry about people having a good time in our in our brew. <laughs> yeah. So the so the brew house has a slightly different playlist from the tap room itself, which isn't unusual for anywhere. The kitchen usually Well unfortunately it's one it's one sound system. So there's the only thing that separates it is like, okay we're open guys. We gotta turn that <laughs> we gotta turn that shit turn off the death metal. We gotta bring it we gotta bring it back to a notch. <laughs> I'm, I'm a big, big believer. When I used to have a pub and I had to clean in the morning, death metal is what you want when you're cleaning a pub. Like this, you know, there's there's no point in having nice, happy music at that point when you're going in to clean the toilets. You want full. I hate humanity. I'm going to destroy everything in my path. Get out the bleach. Oh yeah, I've I got think... uh, some tracks from uh, Sepultura, Roots. Yes. <laughs> like that's such a great album to listen to. Yeah. Oh, it's a massive album, and I've I have I'm I'm not a brewer. I'm a winemaker, so um, like cleaning. I've actually cleaned out a, a tank to roots, and it just makes sense. It does. It just you're stomping shit. You're pushing it out that manhole at the at the bottom. You're just like throwing rakes and stuff around. Yeah, I think that's yeah. And we've yeah. got some epic tunes. Like I've even got a couple from Vision of Diso- Disorder on there, and uh, yeah, like it, it, I try to pick, you know, the most epic songs from those bands. And but we've also sprinkled in some Tool, 
that where it's like, okay, you know, yep. you can appreciate the heavy side of it, but the melody again is there. It can't be all cookie monster. And, <laughs> uh, and so I just want, you know, we just, want people, <laughs> <laughs> we just want people to hear songs that they remember. Like there's even a couple songs from quicksand, that band from like the nineties, faith, no more, a lot of stuff. Love it. Uh, Mr. Bungle, some, some oh, yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah. Like yep. It's really songs that when people hear it, they're like, I can't believe I'm hearing this when I'm out somewhere. And it just, <laughs> even one song on that playlist can make people's nights. So we, uh, we're, we're huge music fans. We're, we're musicians as well and, and uh, been in bands when we were younger. So this is just another way for us to be able to share. Actually, yeah, there's some of music that I've written on the playlist as well. And, uh, and cool. we've, we've had a few local bands perform in our brewery. We want to expand that. But first and foremost, we got to remember it's a production brewery. So we do all these fun things. We got some cool murals on the wall that our artist who does all of our labels has come and hand painted. And uh, we've got labels from all the beers all over. We've got a display of the first batch of every beer we made uh, in the the first three years, which is up till a month ago, of every beer we've done in order. So when people see this stuff, they they kind of realize like this isn't a machine that we've made. This isn't a business. This is a, mm-hmm. you know we, we're just this is a collection, mm-hmm. a collection of art, like like a long album, and uh, and so we just kind of we have our customers who have had every one, and it's so important to them to know that they haven't missed a single beer. <laughs> that kind of enthusiasm really, that's like, that reminds us why we're doing this. I really want to talk can design and some of those things. It's conversations we love to have, but yeah. Mr. Wu, we've got to talk about We've got to talk about the beer glasses. and it's late, and and late in Ontario too. So we should, in Milton. Um, let's talk about the, um, Bebo, would you like to run us through, uh, the pipe dreams from a box and tell us a little bit about the production. Um, I'll let you guys know that it has arrived on the other part of the world. Super, super fresh and super, super juicy. Like, um, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's one big, really fresh can of beer. So it's a, uh, six and a half percent New England style IPA. We brew these with a lot of oats. We like that big, super thick, fluffy base. Uh, try to use a lot of hops, but in a way where we're maximizing the aroma and flavor and not getting any of the vegetal or bitterness or any of the kind of parts of the hop we don't want to get in there. Uh, so this one's got a blend of Palace, HBC 586, and Idaho 7. Um, kind of an interesting blend. We, uh, we've really narrowed down the, the variety of hops we, we like or kind of honed in on what aspects of certain hops we like and have just been kind of working through different blends and variations of them. So the HVC 586 has got this nice like tropical fruit kind of mm. pillowy base layer. Idaho yeah. 7 always brings like a pineapple kind of aspect and maybe a little bit more like a sweet citrus. Mm-hmm. And the Talus is an interesting one. It's got like, it's got like a hint of vanilla. So you're probably going to get a hint of vanilla in this beer. Mm. Um, and, and Chris could speak more to it, but, uh, you know, on the subject of our musical past, I think this was, wasn't this, uh, Pipe Dreams? This was a, a song you wrote? Oh, that's true. 
it is a song that I've written. We've got this, uh, we got this list of song names and, uh, we just keep adding to it and giving each other, you know, full veto powers of anything we don't like. But if it stays on that list, then our artist can see it too. And it becomes inspiration for his drawings. And so mm-hmm. have kind of a beer that, you know, I can, I can think about the lyrics to a song that I've written and a, and a beer that, Bebo's brewed and have that experience all at once. That's pretty. That's pretty special. I really want to ask the obvious question there, unless it's obvious to me, which is, what were the last names that someone vetoed? Like, you know, it's lovely when everyone agrees <laughs> with each other, but like, what was the last one you went? No way, man. We just cannot call a beer that. <laughs> ah, we've gotten close. We, you know, we we just keep it keep it clean. Like, you know, nothing. You know, nothing racy or sexualized or anything like that. But we, I, at one point, Chris was like, we have like seven beers that have either death or die or blood in the name. <laughs> so we, we go pretty heavy with the names. James, I'm not going to read out your have... suggestion. So you, you can feel free to say that on mic if you want, but let's, let's not go there. Um, James, you did have a question from earlier. Like, you've got a little comment. Would you like to unmute yourself? You may as well be. The, the on-mic guest, uh, additional host for this evening, James. Uh, this is so great. I'm, I'm really enjoying this. So I've got so many questions, which is, you know, inevitable, right? But I, I guess one of the things I wondered about, you mentioned the coffee in your Imperial Stout earlier, and I wondered if you, we often hear from our guests that they have this relationship with someone who makes them coffee nearby in a neighbouring town or something, and... And I remember, like, even when I was in Toronto, like, Mill Street used to have a relationship with Balzac's for their coffee lager, I think it was. Mm. I just wondered if there was something special about the coffee that you use in your your brews. Yeah, we uh, we really lucked out. So there, there's a coffee roaster just across the street from us. So the first few coffee beers we did, we naturally paired up with them. And they were great, and that's coffee that I personally buy to use at home. But we got contacted by this uh, really small coffee roaster named uh, – the name is Morning Roast Coffee. Joe is the owner and roaster. Joe and is like, the name of the yeah, that's coffee right. roaster. Yeah, Joe. Is, yeah. It, is, it, is it Joe Morning? Let me guess. Is that his name? No, it's a long Java last name. Joe Java. Yeah, yeah, yeah Joe from Java. Java yeah. Totally. <laughs> Um, but he, yeah, he came in and he was like, I want to drop some samples off And this. This guy is just a genius with coffee. He, mm. he sources and roasts and understand flavor profiles in a way that I've never, never seen anyone even touch. And we, we, we talk about kind of wacky ideas and he just goes off and he's like, okay, I got the perfect roast. It's or you know, this coffee from this farm and this country and the acidity level and, uh, green peppers and off flavor you often get in, in coffee beers. He's he knows how to roast it, so we never get that in any of ours. Wow. He's just got this. He's got this magic touch, and he'll be like, "When do you need this coffee?" And he'll roast it backwards to the hour so that it hits the beer at the exact perfect time. Wow. So as soon as we got a touch of him, we had this thought of rotating through different roasters and trying different stuff. But it just we we can't not use him. So I don't know how many beers we've done with Joe. It's got to be. 30 maybe and did like we've done some coffee smoothie sours we did coffee ipa with him he's just uh yeah he's a he's a mad genius but also one of the nicest most humble guys you'll ever talk to 
I hate so, people uh, like that. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> people like that. So horrible. in the past, sorry, in the past we've heard from the wool shed in uh, Renmark and they, mm. they t- in South Australia and they told us about how they went through a period of refinement where they ended up adding cold brew quite late, I believe, in the um, in the process because mm. they were trying to capture different flavours. And I just wondered, you know, when do you add coffee, your yes. your brew? We've, we've kind of, we've done a lot and it was actually a fun experiment we recently gone on with Joe. So our coffee, we have a coffee stout eight and a half to sometimes up to 10% called Each Beast of God. And the idea with that is like each time we've brewed it, we use a different coffee. You know, we did like a Tanzanian pea berry or Ethiopian, whatever, kind of all over the, all over the place. We've done a ton of different versions of it. But then recently we've started doing split batches where we'll do, um, we did like the same coffee roasted, uh, one, he, exact same beans, one he roasted a little bit light, one he roasted a little bit dark, and we processed them through the beer the same way. So you could try each side by side and you could learn alongside us, like what, what the, what his roast profile actually brings to it. And we've had ones where it's the same farm two different coffee varietals that he processed and roasted the same and we put in a beer the same. We did one where we use only cold brew and one where we use only whole beans, the exact same coffee. So there's like different experiments. We've really, you know, we were doing a blend of whole bean and cold brew and now we've just found like whole bean gives us the biggest flavor impact, flavor and aroma. So that's, that's what we've been using mostly. Amazing. I love the science of it. Yeah, I love that that too. Yeah, that taking that variable and just like changing it over here and there, and just see and actually seeing what it what what it comes out like is is I think a good thing. It's a good attitude. Yeah, and being transparent so the customers know, like we're not trying to do an open source product development. Like it's a cool experiment that everybody can learn, and some people feel very strongly on either side, like they prefer this one or that one. But yes, yeah, it's, it's been cool. Can I ask a sort of a tangential question? Maybe this is getting ahead of the game here, but have you thought about you doing the, the same thing with hops? <laughs> uh, no worries. Um, have you thought about doing the same thing with hops, like having like terroir? I mean, that's become a big thing in Australia that has been great to learn a bit more about the, the regionality of hops and having mm-hmm. parallel brews with the same hop in, in parallel. We haven't done that specifically. We've done some similar things. We have a line of hazy IPAs called Observation. So we basically keep everything the same except for the hop. And then we observe uh, her, what the, uh, you know, what the effect is on the beer. Uh, we also have a uh, line of beers that use only Ontario grown hops. So Ontario is not known to be a, a hop region, but we use locally grown hops and kind of see, you'll, you'll find they have the similar, you know, we'll have only like the open source ones where they could grow. You can't grow like Mosaic or Simcoe or whatever. So they could grow like Cascade or Centennial. So what the, what the different growing regions, even within a small area like Ontario, what those two hops are going to do differently. So, yeah, I think that's kind of an overarching thing, theme with us, but, I know some breweries have done like certain lots of a specific hop, different side by sides with that. I think that might be a cool thing to do, but we haven't really delved into that too far. 
I was going to do a quick shout out to our friend Maz from Hawkers here, uh, who's been on the podcast a couple of times. And last night I had his. Oh, now I'm going to get this. Got to get this is right. Is it the Fa- earlier harvest and the late harvest? Is yeah. That so what you- Fa- fashionably punctual is the name of the series, and there's an early harvest and late harvest. Uh, Nelson Savon um, in that, and both really delicious. I liked the late, just for the reference. But anyway, mm-hmm. no one really cares about my opinion on that one. I'm sure. <laughs> So can you just throw, t- tell us again which hops were in this one? Because what I'm keen to do is, in a few moments' time, start to move us from the pipe mm. dreams uh, from a box over to the Conjuration 18 and have a bit of a side-by-side so that we can have both of those beers next to each other and learn a little bit, particularly for people who are newer to craft beer and perhaps learning about what the difference between a, a regular yeah. uh, IPA and a West Coast IPA is. So this was uh, Talus HBC 586 and Idaho 7. That's right. And Talus is, I think, one of those uh, newer hops for Australian people at least, Um, mm. but we're seeing a little bit more of that coming through. So is that what we're going to be getting in the Conjuration 18 or is it going to be a different lineup of hops when we're opening up that can? It's it's quite a bit different. It's going to be pretty startlingly startlingly different. Mm. Uh, Grain bill, the yeast, the water profile, and the hopping are all different so you're going to get a full spectrum of what what ipa is just between those two that is absolutely perfect for our purposes well perhaps before we open up that can but we'll do so in a moment but like we're making new beers every week and we're coming up with a name with a label working with our artists deciding what the imagery should be and then uh, trying to get it to the printer in time so it's ready when the beer that sometimes we've already brewed and is fermenting at the time or conditioning uh, is, is it's almost done. And we're just trying to make sure that everything lines up and we can put the labels on the cans at the same time the beer is going into them. So uh, yeah, this is, this is a, one of the more special ones uh, because of that really personal reason from the, the music influence, but it's a really interesting hop combo too. Like using using talus in there, some of the earthiness and the vanilla that it brings, and HBC five eighty six. We we knew that would bring some berries to it. Idaho seven, you know, Bebo mentions pineapple. I, I tend to get sometimes some like melon a little bit yeah. from it. Mm-hmm. I yep. find it it's a very bright hop, and yeah. uh, it doesn't have a lot of uh, bottom end to it. Like it's all treble and no bass, and uh, yeah. and so. So I find that the talus brings a little bit more of that body mm-hmm. with uh, it's a higher oil content, right, people? Yeah, In that one, okay. that's like, yeah. So uh, that's been something too. When we blend hops, it's not just about the flavor, but it's also about the, you know the oiliness of some of them and just how is this gonna, how are we gonna deliver the mouth feel? We do a lot of, uh, of beers with uh, Nelson Sovan or you know, Sovanhide. Just heard I've been mispronouncing it from you there, but... Uh, no, 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 no. I come from North Bendigo, which is a rural Australian <laughs> town. Trust me, I, I won't be right about these things. <laughs> as long as we know what we're talking about. But we pair that hop, which is one of our absolute favourite hops, mm. with cashmere. And we find, you know, the exciting... Uh, like, to me, it's really sexy, Nelson, Nelson Sovan, but it's... Uh, it's just, it's spicy, it's edgy, it's got, you know, some a nice gooseberry pop, some Venice hints, but then you put cashmere with it, and it just, it wraps it in that blanket and gives it the mouthfeel. So when we came up with the hops for this beer, 
we were thinking that way, you know, like how do we make sure this is a well-rounded beer? We deliver enough juice, but also enough body. And, uh, and so it's the only time we've ever used those three hops together. And we, we swing for the fences every time, which is one of the things that our fans kind of love about it is they know like we're learning as they're learning and we're putting a whole batch of beer on the line and just, you know, hoping this turns out and people are going to enjoy this and not end up hating it and trashing it on the, on social media. So when you, a homebrew scale is one thing, but it takes just as long to brew on a, you know, professional system. So you're just, there's no time to really homebrew. If you're going to spend the eight hours to do it, you might as well just make a beer. Mm. Otherwise, you, you know, you can't sleep because you're brewing around the clock. So uh, <laughs> we just we just brew and just go for it and take chances. And uh, this one, I think this turned out really well. I think it's unique. Yeah. We, we pride ourselves on not having IPAs that all taste the same. So this is definitely one of those ones that just delivers some different flavors than uh, than we find in, in some of the other beers we make. I really love the contrast into the beer we're going to have. So that, that uh, your IPA, so um, Pipe Dreams is like, it's incredibly juicy. It, it, like, it hits all the right characters for what in your head you think. New England IPA, um, yeah, all those, all those no melon and there's some pineapple notes, and there's also like passion fruit and guava things going on. It's a real, uh, yeah, it's a, a really fruit forward, really juicy, juicy thing. But then moving into the West Coast, it's like that. You, you, there's that very distinct, very significant shift, and you know you're somewhere else. Um, the West Coast, more savory. Um, it, it just bites a little harder. There's more of the, it. It comes from those more base note, base note situations. Um, do you do you go out? Do you guys go out and just go? Well, we need to create like a lot of breweries that we we talk to. We go. We we they do iterations of things. So their West Coast and their IPA at the heart of a very they they use some similar things. But do you guys go out and these ones? two completely different recipes, never will they ever be, like we're not using anything similar. Um, perhaps Bebo, talk us through talk us through the um, uh, conjuration. And... Yeah, what should we be getting in the glass? Yeah. Well, the, the whole point, we have our conjuration series, which is basically the only rule is it has to be a hoppy beer, but within that, it's just our way to experiment. So we've done... Um, New England IPAs, doubles, West Coast. Our most recent one was our first session IPA, done ones with Phantasm and uh, Black IPA. We, we just kind of like whatever within that, whatever fits in the hoppy beer realm, we're we're going to use that. And you know, since it's Conjuration, we we we're up front. It's an exploratory series. Normally, it's our first time making something in that style. Um. So yeah, this was going really to the core of you know, like you walk into a bottle shop in 2012, and you're like, give me the freshest stone IPA, and it's gonna be like super bitter and really piney and resinous and and really um, heavy on the you know dank notes. Yep. Um, 
But it's funny because that beer isn't brewed very long ago, but since then we've kind of had this new revelation with this West Coast IPA series we just recently started where we're going to be using West Coast malt bill, water profile, and yeast uh, and hop schedule, but the hops we're using are super fruity ones we typically use in a New England style IPA. So uh, like Chris mentioned, Nelson is one of our favorite ones. So we got some Nelson from Freestyle Hops in New Zealand and we did a West Coast IPA with that. And it's this really crazy contrast of you get that really dry finish. It's nice and crackery and it just keeps you wanting to drink more. So that, you know, as much as we love the big, thick, full, heavy, um, hazy ones, the West Coast just delivers that drinkability where it just keeps you going back and back. But then you get these crazy, super fruity aromatics. And we found that 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 lighter malt base really allows more of those aromatics to come through than you would normally get like in a New England IPA. Mm-hmm. So that's been kind of our very recent spin that we're excited to keep exploring that and see where that goes. Even for me, just the colour in the glass is probably a little bit lighter than you say 2012, even the sort of the 2005 or the late 90s. Sort yeah, of West yeah, Coast but it's no, no, no caramel malt or anything. Yeah. But um, again, makes it eminently drinkable. I mean, we've spoken to a few brewers, uh, particularly US brewers, uh, or I should say, at least say North American brewers, um, who are sort of saying they can see multiple generations and that the, the current generation of West Coast IPA has moved away from that chili eating contest notion of what's the biggest amount of IBU we can yes. put into something, mm. into something that's far more yeah. actually, how can I enjoy and session this beer? Yeah, I always joked that that's like advertising the saltiest soup. Like, come to our diner, it's the saltiest soup you'll ever have. Yeah. Like, ah, just put the right amount of salt in there. It's probably better than a lot. Same yeah. with the IBUs. Yeah. Uh, James, do you want to ask your question? I think it's an interesting yeah. Yeah, totally. Thanks. Thanks, Warren. I'm really interested to know because you're doing these experimental batches which is so cool. But I wanted to know what sort of volumes you're doing them on. So we have a 10-barrel system where we put out about 13 hectoliters. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, um, many of our beers will either make a single batch or we're able to double batch some of them. So some of our core brands will just do two, you know, two brews back-to-back and then the same fermenter. So, uh, and then some, like we do a lot of... Uh, Sorry? Yeah, so the single batch, we get about 1,800 tall boys out of it. Okay. Eight, you know, 1,800 tall cans in a single batch. Mm. Just for How, reference. Point. Do you, and do you put them at, like, does everything go through your tap room? Does, does all the beer, do, do you put an example of everything in through the tap room? Or is there some things you just put straight? I'm, I, and I might be a little bit confused about how... How you guys are balancing? We want to pour everything we make in our tap room. Everything? Yeah. Yeah. And we, we've got 12 taps. Right. And we just keep right. going and try to get the right amount, yeah. you know, in terms of kegs so that we can move through it and hopefully line up selling out of the draft at the same time as the cans, which is mm-hmm. impossible. Yeah. But <laughs> yeah. Yeah. People inevitably expect to be able to take home the beers that they tasted in the tap room. Mm-hmm. Uh, we just, it's so hard to, uh, to nail that, but that, that is our goal. And, uh, 
it's also better for us if people come to the brewery. So we try to sell the majority of our beer at our brewery. It also means it's from our fridge into your trunk and soon into your fridge directly. Uh, that's the best way to do it. And it also supports your brewery in, in the best possible way. Mm-hmm. But we have about a hundred licensees in Southern Ontario that we distribute to regularly combination of bars, restaurants, um, bottle shops, and they will, you know, predominantly sell cans, but some of them also have draft selling draft in another place is the least profitable thing you could do. Uh, selling draft in our own tap room is the best thing we can do. So in the end, the only way to lower our unit costs is to make more beer and move more beer. So if we, if someone reaches out to us and we ask a few qualifying questions and it sounds like they're going to respect our beer, they're going to represent it well, they're going to take care of it. And, uh, and they really, you know, want to support craft and, and the values that they have align with ours, then we, we put our beer in there and, uh, it's it's not something that we ever want to feel like we're trying to convince someone to buy our beer. That's not why we did this. So some people would say we're probably stunting our own growth by trying not to overextend ourselves. But growth is such a it's such a, a careful thing. If you want to stay alive, uh, you just can't you can't go too fast, and you got to make sure that you understand how the dynamics of your business are going to change when you open up additional channels and, and also markets. So we, we focus on local as much as we can. And only in this past year or two have we, have we been reaching out and and taking some risks by letting some beer go to some faraway places. uh, There's a question that's just on the tip of my tongue here, which is sort of, I guess the obvious one, which is, how do you feel when the pallet gets loaded up and the the container gets loaded up and they come over to Australia? Like that's almost the opposite of what you're talking about there. It, it is. It feels it feels backwards, you know, in some respects. But uh, it's it's the kind of thing where you know beer is is something you you enjoy talking about. And we are pandemic babies with the brewery. We started two months into when the pandemic hit over here. And so our first year, we did a lot of these type of calls. And when you can enjoy the same beer mm. on both ends, see each other, drink that beer, talk mm. about the flavors you're getting, it's it's as close as you can get to actually being in the room together. And it took the pandemic for me to see how powerful that really is. I thought this will like no one would ever be interested in doing this. And then we had to do it. And that was the difference for me. It's not just, we're having a beer together on a, you know, on a zoom call, we're having the same beer. And that's, that's where all of a sudden we have a shared experience. So, you know, getting our beers on the other side of the world is a, it's a wild ride. When you think of the logistics and how many people you're trusting to take care of this beer, uh, and put it in places where, you know, it's going to move and not end up dying on a shelf somewhere. Uh, and also trying to give the biggest discount we can on the front end so that when everybody, you know, has to add their markup who's played a hand in bringing this beer to you, 
it's not going to be a price that's completely obscene, even though I know it is very expensive down there for you guys to buy our beers. That means a lot to us. But uh, we're all working together, and everyone is squeezing themselves as tight as they possibly can to make this happen because it's pretty exciting when we can really have – like what other time in humanity have you been able to enjoy any liquid you want from around the world? Mm. With your credit card, you don't even need cash in hand to do it. It's just – it's really – we live like kings and queens every day if yeah. we want to. Look, it was our experience for the podcast as well. Like before the pandemic, there's no way that we would have thought about interview. Like it was literally the, it was exciting for us to pack up all of our gear in a suitcase and go to a brewery in our city and unload it all and set it all up and go, isn't this an amazing experience? We can go and, we can go and visit a brewery. It never have occurred to us. Never have occurred to us. Like let's all jump on and have an experience like this. <laughs> pretty wild james i think you've got a sort of a, a related thought or a, maybe something completely no it's a complete tangent david that's my <laughs> forte um, do what you I, do well. I really enjoyed the discussion about like using experimental hops and stuff and this is actually a question i ask quite a lot of brewers but i just wonder how you identify you know which hops you'd like to use in your your brews and you know do you i've noticed like in um, here we are, I'm in Boston right now and everyone's using a lot of New Zealand hops. And I just wondered, do you, do you try a beer and you say, oh my, that's, that's the hop I need. And I'll, and you formulate a picture in your head about how it comes together or is it just a bit more, I, I guess, spontaneous than that? And you decide, okay, these things are available or, you know, I, I'm just interested to know the process. <laughs> It is, it's, it's a tough, it's a tough thing because there's not as much as it seems like there's a lot of new hops. There's not as many as you think that there's actually people want. Um, and a lot of these new ones that come out are, uh, very small and very hard to get. And normally it's tied to the access is tied to your contract volume. Mm. So if there's, let's say, <laughs> Let's say a hop, hop sales company has got, you know, a few hundred breweries they work with and they get a very small amount of some really cool, interesting sounding new one. It's not going to go to their hundredth best customer. It's going to go to the top one. So uh, it can be tough for a brewery our size to, to get access. Uh, we've, we've been very fortunate. Actually, we've been able to do selection on our own hops for the last couple of years because we've, bundled our numbers together with some other local brewers that we're really, really good friends with. So individually, we can't hit the minimum volumes, but combined, we're able to. So that's able to give us the ability to go to Yakima and Washington each year and rub the hops and select our own Citra and Mosaic and such. But specifically about the new ones, um, yeah, it's, you know, probably similar to how you guys found out about them. Oh, other half just released this beer and it's got this uh, superdelic in there. What the hell, superdelic? How do we get it? What's it taste like? What's it smell like? Um, so it's a little bit, a little bit of that, a little bit of um, um, yeah, some of these experimental ones where they're truly experimental with like a number, like HPC mm. ones, yeah. or, or I know there's Australia has its own nomenclature for that. Uh, 
you'll kind of like get hinted at that oh if you want we have like a really small amount of this you could try so um you can get like a certificate of analysis that'll show like the oil content and the alpha and the beta and stuff and kind of make an educated guess what we think it would pair well with um based on the flavor notes but you don't really know until it gets in the beer and then the other thing too is like we have a brewery that's very close to us badlands that we're really good friends with that makes very similar styles of beer and we select the same hops, but our hops present very differently in the beer because of brewing process and the techniques and the water and the, all, all that stuff plays a huge role. <clears throat> so you don't really know until you actually get into your beer. But all that to say is we're, we're always on the lookout for the new ones, but they're, they're not always easy to get. Yeah. And uh, we had Good a, advice. A fun, we, we were pouring at a festival in, uh, in Leeds in UK and uh and so uh we met the guys from Beak Brewing and they were pouring beside us. I love Beak. Mm. Yeah. We were discussing them before you came online today actually. Oh nice. And uh we we were you know, you're pouring for, for everyone at the festival and then in between pours you say to the, the brewery beside you, Could I please try something of yours? What what do you think I should try? We had this pale ale with wasn't it Halletal Blanc or something that, like, Blanc. Hop that we've ever really thought about it's using. Like a German to... hop, yeah. Mm. And it was such an exciting pale ale. We looked at each other. You got to try this. So we came I home. Had, and... I think seven, seven or eight pours of that beer. Yeah, so I was like, I'm not, I'm not being polite. That beer was incredible. Yeah, I think the <laughs> next so beer we brewed when we got back home. Was... Right. It's yeah. funny. I used that hop when brewing with Moondog here in Melbourne when we couldn't get Nelson Savant because all of that was sort of Very bought similar. out and taken over to North America. And the Hallertau Blanc became, when you were, again, looking for sort of vineous, those sorts of flavours coming through, it became the nearest thing that we could source. Amazing. So I, I have a follow-up question. So all of this leads me to think, you know, you're next to Beak. I know Range, one of the great Australian brewers, ended up having a similar experience at a beer festival, probably not in Leeds though, but they ended up like neighbors and then they're like, Hey, we should join forces and make a beer together. And I just wonder, you've got friends locally in Milton. Have you thought about joining forces with them to make a beer together or with Beak? I mean, that would be incredible as well. Yeah, we did make one with Beak. We made, uh, it was called Paste, an imperial stout with uh, coffee and maple syrup and Vanilla and a bunch of stuff. Yeah, we. Uh, yeah, that was that was a good one. That was one of my favorites we've done actually. I think they brewed that a few times actually. We keep getting tagged. We keep getting tagged from like UK bottle shops that are getting fresh restocks of it. So I'd be getting like royalties or something. Yeah, yeah. I'd be <laughs> no, it's just fun. They were lovely people. We really, really enjoyed them. Yeah, Daniel's a gem, and uh, yeah. and then we just finally tasted their version like a month ago because uh, some customers of ours were, were there uh, and bought it and brought it when they came to Canada, which was heavily influenced by them visiting breweries, including ours. And they're actually from Sweden and, uh, and then, uh, yeah, met them in, in Leeds. And so we can't just mail these beers from, you know, there to here legally anyways. And, uh, <laughs> and so we never got to try their version until very recently. So that, that's always a, you know, the, the challenge when you're doing it 
you mm. know, across across continents. Um, it's a lot easier when we do collabs with Badlands and Blood Brothers here yeah. in the Toronto area. <laughs> it was the same with that uh, Northern Monk one. My wife, she works, um, at the time she was working with a UK-based company. She's working here in Canada. And uh, we did a collaboration with Northern Monk and Too Old. And um, they... <clears throat> Uh, her, her her one coworker, she was really friendly with, and I was like, hey, if we get a beer sent to her house, do you think she'd like repackage it and send it to us? She didn't want to ask her. And I was like, no, I'll, tell you, I'll send her the label. I'll do all this stuff. So they sent her some of the beer, and I sent her the label, but she went and was like, oh, here's the beer that I'm dropping off to go to Canada. And they're like, nope, no, you're not. <laughs> so I think she's still got like, probably 12 cans sitting in her living room. So. <laughs> Thankfully, we got to try that beer otherwise. But yeah, that was, I felt the, bad about that. The uh, the bit that I'm really sort of would be pushing for, you know, in terms of uh, of collaborations, is obviously with our friends Dangerous Ales, who are from Milton in New South Wales. The idea of a, oh. of a you know a Milton based collaboration because that sounds awesome. Yeah, so uh, I will genuinely send you an email behind the scenes so that you can um, set that up because they make some big they, they, they do make some well. tasty beers. Is there a car brew on Milton Canyon on the Thames? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I get Milton Keynes confused with John Maynard Keynes, so that's just that's <laughs> <very> <laughs> I'm constantly surprised that they named a, a whole city after a you know economist that I may or may not have some faith in. Um, Mr. Warren, you very sensibly suggested now's probably a good time for us just to press pause for five minutes, make sure that all of us who are here in the Zoom room can just get our glasses fresh and have a little break, and then we're going to come back, maybe spend another half an hour. You guys are being so generous with your time, but really keen to talk about the past Lord's Doppelbock. <laughs> 